Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, tough crowd. Good afternoon, everyone. For those that are new or visiting, massive welcome to Kexi. My name is Pete Hughes. Together with my wife, B, we lead the church here. So massive, massive welcome to you. Today is All In Sunday. Um, we do this a couple of times each year. It's a moment for us to pause and to celebrate all that God is doing in our church family, um, to cast vision for the journey ahead and invite people into generosity. So if you haven't picked up one of these booklets, if you were here last Sunday, you probably did. But if you haven't picked up one of these booklets on your way out, grab one of the booklets. Encourage you to read it, to pray through it, to celebrate uh, the way that that God is moving in our family. So what we're going after at KXC is what we describe as an all-in spirituality. This is wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Not half-hearted devotion, but like stepping all into what the Spirit is stirring at this time. And last Sunday, all-in Sunday part one, we did three things. We looked back with gratitude, essentially looking at all the signs of God's kingdom at work in our church family. And as you celebrate what God's doing, the stories of salvation, people coming to faith, coming back to faith, coming alive in their faith, stories of healing, stories of serving those on the margins of society. As you celebrate what God's doing, it it begins to build faith, faith that He can do more. So we look back with gratitude. We looked forward with faith. And we basically said, this is what we've got faith for in this coming season. This is what we want to prioritize in this coming season. And we basically said that we're going through a season shift as a church family. It feels like this is happening beyond just KXC um, in many churches across the nation and across the nation nations is that there's a season shift essentially from winter to spring. And that season shift is marked out by spring rains. And when there's a season shift in the church, you have to embrace new mindsets and new postures for, for the moment that you're in. And I, I believe we need to shift from a kind of Um, scarcity mindset, this mindset of I need to survive this moment, get through this moment. This would be the the posture, right? Bracing for impact. Like, ah, ah. That's the kind of surviving scarcity posture. And we need to move towards an open-handed, Lord, if you're doing a new thing, I want to be ready to receive the abundance that's breaking out all around us. When you're like this and your, your fists are clenched, it's hard to receive what the Spirit is wanting to deposit in this moment. So we're wanting to make this shift from surviving scarcity to stewarding abundance. Um, and there's four priorities for this moment there. Number one, the priority of God's presence. It's the presence that led us to this point and it's the presence that will lead us forward, right? We don't want to continue in the flesh what began in the spirit. The presence of God is moving and active and we believe the presence of God will move us forward from this place. So our highest priority in this moment is to host God's presence, to be attentive to where his presence is moving. Secondly, we want to create room at the table. We believe Jesus is the host of this table. And when Jesus is front and center, there's a unity that exists. And this unity creates space for radical diversity. This 7-9 vision, Revelation 7-9, is this vision of every tribe and tongue gathered around the lamb that was slain. When everything's gathered around the person of Jesus who lived, died, rose again for us, that unity around Jesus, radical unity creates space for radical diversity. 
If you go after radical diversity without radical unity, the radical diversity leads to division. And you see that in cities like this and you see it across the world. We believe in Jesus. There is a unity that creates space for radical diversity. And we long for that at KXE. A greater measure of racial diversity and cultural diversity and socioeconomic diversity and demographics. We want diversity across the board because we believe that is a taste of life in the kingdom of God. So we want to make room at the table, but practically we also want to make a bigger table so that there is more space for people to join the family. That's why we're here at the Shaw Theatre. Normally at King's House we have, or you know, we normally have four services, 10, 12, 3 at King's House, and then the the 5 p.m. at ECFC, but we're barely able to fit into those spaces, so we're trying out a couple of venues. Like, Lord, would you open a door so that we can create more space for those that you are drawing to our church family? So second priority, making room at the table. Third priority is to leave for the 99. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd and he tells a parable to articulate his priorities. He basically says, imagine a shepherd with a hundred sheep, one goes missing. This shepherd is willing to leave the 99 to go after the one because every one matters. The priority of the one, the priority of the lost. Right Now, if you flip that parable um, to articulate the cultural moment we find ourselves in, in the city of London, 1% of the population of this city go to church. So if Jesus basically says, I would willingly leave the 99 to go after the one lost, how much more should we leave the one in church to radically go after the 99? This is a moment for us as a church family to turn ourselves inside out to prioritize the lost. And fourth priority is releasing the next generation. Something incredible is stirring amongst Gen Z, amongst Generation Alpha. They're not just the leaders of tomorrow, they're the leaders of today. And we want to see them rise up in our church family, take leadership and have this vision of what the kingdom could look like amongst their peers in their generation. These are our four priorities. So we looked back, celebrating God's faithfulness. We looked forward. These are priorities. These feel like special things to the heart of the Father. And therefore, we want them to be priorities in our hearts. And finally, we invited people to act now with generosity. And we basically said that over the next few weeks, we want to raise £250,000 to serve what God's doing in this moment in our church family. That's 250k through regular pledged giving, one-off gifts. And that's the target we're going after. But I want to say that radical generosity is really the story of KXC. I want to take you back to 2005. So B and I, we'd been married for a couple of years. Just a heads up this week, we celebrate our 20th anniversary. That's, that's cool, isn't it? We were 13 years old at the time. That's a joke. We were 24 at the time. Um, so 2005, we're leaving Watford. Um, we're trying to move into central London because we've just started working at a church um, called St. Mary's. And we're struggling to find something affordable to move into. So for six months, as we go through this transition, we are sofa surfing. We are staying with mates. We're asking people, can we use their spare room? Six months. We didn't have any kids at the time, so it was a little bit easier. But it was still pretty stressful. And we were basically saying to God, look, if you've called us to central London, you've got to make a way for us. Because we're, we're struggling on a church salary to find a way of paying rent. You need to open up a door. And we had this amazing door that did open. A, uh, a family friend got in touch 
and basically said, um, Pete, my wife and I and our kids, we're moving out of of London, we're moving to Cambridge. We own a four-bedroom family house in King's Cross. Um, We don't want to sell it because we feel such an attachment to King's Cross. We believe God's doing something extraordinary in King's Cross. We we still want roots in King's Cross. So we're trying to figure out what to do. And we thought maybe we could get a friend to come and house it rent-free for six months. We had a prayer. You and B came to to mind. And I'm really phoning to see, do you want to live in King's house, in a four-bed house, six months rent-free, right? So I said, can I have a little think and pray about it? Yes, absolutely. We will move, just to clarify, six months rent-free, four-bed house, King's... Yes, yes, we'll definitely do that. We'd love to serve you in that way. Um, And... And what was meant to be six months rent-free became five years rent-free. Unbelievable generosity. Just think of the rent they could have got over five years. I encourage them not to think about that because it would be stressful. That is radical generosity, right? That's kind of 15 plus years ago. And and in many ways, KXZ exists because of that generosity. We moved into King's Cross. We lived here for five years. I studied theology, got ordained. We started dreaming about church planting. And in that process, we were asking God, where are you calling us? We'll go anywhere. And it was as if God said, look, I've already moved you into King's Cross. Like, I'm very strategic. I, I knew what I was doing. Like I pulled a miracle, a little favor for you to move you into the area. And over five years of, of living in King's Cross, we fell in love with the people. We fell in love with the place. We were willing to go anywhere, but we were basically saying, Lord, could you call us here? Because something really exciting is stirring in King's Cross. KXC in many ways exists because of their radical generosity. Now, here's the thing you need to know. Generosity begets generosity, begets generosity, begets generosity. It's like dominoes begin to fall. And our story is formed by moments of radical generosity where God has been abundantly generous and our community has risen up in generosity. So about a year into our story, we had nowhere to meet throughout the week. The office was the spare room in our flat. We'd moved by this point to another place. Um, and we we're praying, Lord, would you provide? And basically, God miraculously opens the door to Tile Yard Studios, 2,000 square foot of office space rent-free. We were there for about 18 months. We got to the point where we needed to leave and we got a phone call from a lady in Singapore. She basically said, I'm part of a group. We own a seven-story office block right in the heart of King's Cross. The whole area is being regenerated and we want to redevelop our site as part of the regeneration. And we want to get some charities in to work in the space so that we can get rate relief on our building. Um, And basically, it's like one of those phone calls again. Would you like what ended up being 15,000 square foot of office space rent-free for three years. Can I have a little think and pray about it? Yes, absolutely, right? Unbelievable provision. That was God opening a door, 15,000 square foot rent-free King's Cross. That's unbelievable, right? We said to the church, God's opened this door supernaturally. We need to rise up in generosity. So we asked people to give financially and people were incredibly generous that enabled us to take this rundown office space and restore it into a co-working space, a baby boutique, a chapel area. Um, we, we created a community cinema and office spaces. It was absolutely stunning. God supernaturally opening a door, that's generosity, and the church rising up in response with generosity. We moved out 2015. We didn't know where to go, but we found another office block, two doors down. 
down. It was on the market at a low price. No one wanted it because it was riddled with asbestos. We thought that would be perfect for KXC. Um, so we basically signed a lease and we said to the church, it's going to cost us a chunk of money, about 100K, to rip out the asbestos, to restore this space and to create a beautiful working environment for the co-working space, for our offices, um, for ministries that operate out of King's Cross. And we, we established KX House. Uh, God opening a door and us as a family rising up in generosity. 2021, we had to move from that space and we were searching for another venue and we stumbled across the Pauline Quirk Academy. We didn't even realize it was on the market. It was on the market. We put in a low bid. It was accepted. We signed a 10-year lease and then the Church of England got on board and said, why don't we buy it for you? And we're like, that sounds like a cracking idea. Thanks so much. So they bought King's House. We had to say to the church, God has supernaturally opened a door. But if we want to restore this building and create a beautiful home, we're, we're going to need to generate some income to do that. So grants came in. The congregation were generous. We raised over a million pounds to restore King's house. Every moment in our story where God has brought about abundance and open doors, the church has risen up with generosity. And we're in one of those moments now. There is abundance breaking out all around us, right? But this is a moment where we need to invite the church into radical generosity. What is our model for this? I hear none of you ask. Um, our model for this is the church in Macedonia. So listen to these words. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, pointing them to the church in Macedonia, saying, look at their example. You should follow their example. This is a bit of healthy rivalry. Have you heard about the church in Macedonia? Unbelievably generous. You should become a bit more like that, right? So there's a famine in Jerusalem. This church in Macedonia are responding with incredible generosity. Paul says to the church in Corinth, follow their example. This is what he says. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty has welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people this is local churches in Macedonia begging Paul can we have more opportunities to give can we have another giving Sunday can we put the collection bags around one more time can there be more opportunities right that's unbelievable but that's essentially what's happening generosity springing up and they exceeded our expectations they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us so we urge Titus, just as I did earlier, made it a beginning, to also bring to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I want you to grab hold of the raw ingredients here, right? Paul says, there is a grace upon this Macedonian church. In other words, there's a favor, like an anointing that's upon them. And, and we're praying, Lord, may that grace fall on KXC right now. And these are the ingredients of that favor in the context of a very severe trial. In other words, they were going through a cost of living crisis. You, you can do the, the parallels. All right, Paul says, their overflowing joy plus their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Like if it was a math formula, I'm a mathematician, so let's go with it. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. In other words, empty pockets, full hearts, rich generosity. Now this shatters all models of economics that we have around us. 
and particularly in our Western context, trickle-down economics that basically says, if you've got full pockets, right, if a few at the top are killing it financially, then essentially that wealth will trickle down and it will move from the few to the many. It doesn't work, right? It doesn't work because our hearts are empty. Like levels of greed and selfishness in the context of a city like this, it doesn't work. Paul says, here's the economics of the kingdom of God, right? Empty pockets, full hearts, that's rich generosity. Amongst this kind of demographic, when we give giving talk, people often say, well, I, you know, I'm not really in a place to financially give. Like when I'm earning a bit more, uh, financially a bit more stable, then I will start giving. And, and I want to say, do not rule yourself out, right? Empty pockets, full hearts, rich generosity begins to flow. Why is the practice of giving so central to our discipleship? Money is primarily a discipleship issue because of its destructive power and its creative potential, right? Money has a destructive power and a creative potential. And what the practice of giving does, it limits the destructive power. It releases the creative potential, right? So giving does for money what Sabbath does for time. Why do people Sabbath? And the answer is as a way of pushing back on the idol of productivity. The idea that, that we're only as useful, as valuable as we are productive. And it creates burnout, big time burnout, right? And what we do when we Sabbath is, is we push back and say, no, I'm not marked out by how productive I am. I'm just going to abide in the vine. I'm going to rest in Jesus. He said abiding in the vine, that leads to fruitfulness. He didn't say kill yourself trying. Like abide, rest, and you can be fruitful. Giving does for money what Sabbath does for time. When we give financially, we're basically dethroning the idol of materialism. Like the idol of money. We're saying we're not marked out by our financial security. We don't find comfort, safety there. We find it in the person of Jesus. Here's the theological foundation for generosity. Now, this is a summary of the narrative of Scripture. There are better summaries, creation, decreation, recreation, but this is an alternative one, which is creation for redemption renewal. I, I want to highlight to you that the whole story, the, the narrative of Scripture is a story of generosity. The, the, the story of Eden is a story of God creating from the overflow of his love. And he places Adam and Eve as image bearers in a garden of abundance. Genesis 1 and 2, it drips with the language of abundance. That's the creation story, the fall, which is created order unraveling. What went wrong? And the answer is we disconnected from God's generosity. This is how Paul summarizes it in Romans 1. He says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. They stopped being grateful. They stopped giving thanks. You know, when you stop being grateful, you disconnect yourself from the giver. Every time you say thank you to God, you lift your gaze to heaven and you say, thank you, God, for your goodness. When you stop giving thanks, you stop looking up. And when you stop looking up, you just end up looking at the floor, right? And you disconnect yourself from the giver. What about redemption? Well, this is perhaps the best known verse in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he... 
Good reading. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The redemption story of God taking on human flesh, living for us, dying for us, rising to new life. It's a story of radical, radical generosity. So how do we participate in the renewal of all things? The end of our story is the reconciliation of all things. God and humanity, heaven and earth, all things made new. How do we participate in that story? And the short answer is we participate in that story by mirroring to the world what God is like. We're image bearers. We reflect God. If, if we want people in this city to know how good God is, how generous God is, then our own generosity levels need to rise. And people see in us, they're like, oh, wow. I think he, I think she's reflecting something of the nature of God. Look at that incredible generosity. Where does that come from? And the answer is we're imaging to the world the generosity of God. So what does biblical giving look like? Um, in the Jewish calendar, there were a number of festivals. I want to name two festivals that relate to giving. So the first festival was called the Festival of First Fruits. This is where the, the concept of tithing comes from. Now, just when the harvest w- was, was getting ready and the first crops were ripening, the Jewish community would take the first 10%, the first fruits of their land, right? So the wheat, the barley, the grain, the grapes, and they would collect the first fruits, the first crops that had ripened, and they would bring them to the temple and present them to the priest. And as they were presenting them to the priest, they would essentially tell the story of God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel. Faithfulness to the nation of Israel. So imagine they're literally carrying baskets of goodies and they're basically saying, God, you've been so good to us. You liberated us from Egypt. You parted the waters of the Red Sea. You provided in the wilderness like bread from heaven, manna from heaven, quail, those duck-like things. They were awesome, God. Thank you for them. And then you entered into covenant relationship with us at Mount Sinai. And then you led us to the banks of the Jordan. And then you parted the Jordan River and you led us to Jericho and you pulled the water of Jericho down and you overcame the giants in the land and you settled us in a land of abundance. You're so good to us and we are so grateful. When you stop being grateful, you stop looking up. And as they brought their produce, they're basically saying this 10%, we're just so grateful. We just honour and acknowledge your faithfulness to us, right? That was the festival of first fruits. After the festival of first fruits, there was a, a seven-week period. Now, in the climate of that context, it was like seven weeks of completely unpredictable weather. In those seven weeks, you could have downpours of rain that would drown the crop, or you could have heat that would scorch the crop. So when you'd given your first 10%, the, the first part that had ripened, you had no idea in seven weeks' time whether there'd be anything left over. You were basically operating in a moment of vulnerability. You'd given your best. It was a way of saying, God, we give you the best. We trust you for the rest. We trust that you'll provide for us because we've given you the best of the land. And in seven weeks time, we're just, we're trusting that you will provide that our barns won't be empty. They will be full, right? This was a way of saying, God, we don't want to become self-sufficient. We want to be God-sufficient. How many of us in the room choose self-sufficiency? It's exhausting. It's a weight too much for you to bear. God doesn't want you to live with the mindset of self-sufficiency. He wants to teach you God's sufficiency. This is the best practice if you want to step into God's sufficiency. 
giving. Giving to the point where you need him to provide. That you can't rely on self, that you need to rely on God. This is what the nation of Israel were doing. Embracing the vulnerability of this seven-week period. God, we've given you the best. We're just going to trust that you'll provide. Listen to these words, Malachi 3 verse 10. The prophet says, bring the whole tithe, 10%, the first fruits, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this and see if I will not open, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. Now, golden rule of scripture. Jesus quotes this in the wilderness. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, apart from when it comes to tithing. Right? This is basically God saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes to tithing, I want you to actually put me to the test to see if I actually have power to provide for your needs. Go on, tr try giving. See if you can outgive me. If you trust me, you bring the best, you trust me for the rest. You just wait and see the abundance that will be flowing from these storehouses. So what would happen? You'd have festival of first fruits. That's gratitude. That's the tithe. A seven week moment of like, Lord, please, please, we're trusting in you. We're relying on you, right? Um, and then at the end of seven weeks, that's 49 days, seven times seven, you can do the maths. Um, that's 49 days. On the 50th day, hence the language of Pentecost, 50th day, um, festival of Pentecost, also known as festival of, of weeks. There'd be a moment where the barns were rammed now. God had provided and they would give again out of overflow. God, you've been so generous. You've given us abundance and we're going to give again because you are so generous to us, right? Absolutely incredible. Think about this. The church was birthed at Pentecost. They were celebrating the God of abundance, the God who provides, the God who brings life and their birth at Pentecost. The Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. I think this is a way of God saying to the church, I want you to be marked by generosity. I don't want you to be stingy. I don't want self-sufficiency. I want people that are grateful, live by faith, marked by generosity. These should be some of the markers of every church. Here's the thing about generosity. Generosity communicates love. When you give a gift, right, behind the gift, it's, it's really a token of your affection for that person, right? The gift you give, the candle, or, or whatever the gift might be, um, it, it will eventually, like, disappear, right? Most gifts, they'll eventually fade, but the love communicated in the gift, that will live on for all eternity, right? If you want to be a person that communicates love, you need to learn about giving. The Hebrew verb for love is ahava. Should we say that together? Ahava. Oh, lovely. Ahava. The root word means to give. If you want to learn to love, you need to learn to give. Here's the second thing about generosity. It creates possibility. If I was to write you individually a sizable check, and I'm not going to, um, but if I was to write you a sizable check, that would create worlds of possibility. You'd probably go home and say to your partner or your flatmate or your friends, you'd be like, I've just been given this chunk of money. What do I do? Like, do I put it into savings? Like, do I pay off some debt? Like, do I go on a massive holiday? Do I take some time off work to write that novel I've been dreaming about? Like, what do I do? Giving creates worlds of possibility. Generosity creates worlds of possibility. KXC exists because of the generosity of that couple. Do you want to live in our home? 
for six months and became five years. That gift created worlds of possibility. And part of that possibility was KXE being birthed, right? This is what generosity does. Communicates love, creates possibility, releases joy, releases joy. Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. Right? Who enjoys receiving? You're lying, all of you do, um, right? There's, there's joy in receiving, but Jesus said this, so I believe it to be true. And it is my experience too that receiving's great, giving's even more fun. It's even more fun, it releases joy. And that which is theologically true is scientifically true. Um, neuroscientists call this giver's glow. So basically, when you give, you get this rush in your body, like chemicals released in the brain, oxytocin, endorphins, a dopamine rush. And it, it just like this stirring, you feel great. Um, and it releases in your face like a glow. So neuroscientists call this giver's glow, which is beautiful. But what gets better than that, and this is how God has wired us, right? We all have mirror neurons. So when we see people going through something, these mirror neurons fire up and it creates this connection. So think of someone grieving in pain. When you sit with them and listen to them share their story and the pain they're experiencing, mirror neurons fire up in your brain. So you begin to feel some of that pain too. That creates empathy and that creates connection. How beautiful is that? It's true when it comes to giving. When you see someone being generous and they begin to glow, you're like, I want a piece of that. That looks awesome. And there's something that stirs in you. I want to become more generous. And this is why generosity begets generosity begets generosity. It's a domino effect, right? Because other people want to step into generosity because other people want to experience that glow. Imagine a church where everyone was like, I want more of that. I want to step into generosity. What a beautiful thought. These are three virtues that we're going after at KXC. We want to be people marked out by gratitude, Marked out by faith, marked out by generosity. Like marked out by gratitude, the most grateful people in the world, the most grateful people in the city. We don't want to get disconnected from God the giver. We want our gaze to be turned heavenwards. God, you're so good, you're faithful. Connection to the giver. We want to be marked out by faith, not self-sufficient, God-sufficient. Giving of our resources to the point where we actually need God to provide. We actually have to pray, give us each day our daily bread, right? If you don't give, you could probably try the path of self-sufficiency, all the best with that, by the way, right? Or you could say, God, I'm gonna give and trust that you'll be my provider. Thirdly, generosity, showing the world what God is like. This is the mindset that, that you see stirring in the discipleship journey as it relates to money. Start point. 100% mine, my money, my resources, my money. I do what I want with it, right? Just imagine a little, a little bit of a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit, a couple of encounters with Jesus, and suddenly there's movement. 100% mine, but I'm going to give some of it away because that's the kind of guy that I am, right? A few more encounters with the Spirit, some good choices of discipleship. Suddenly it's like, do you know what? I, I want to start tithing. 90% mine. And I'm going to give away 10% because that's the kind of guy that I am. Um, and as the Spirit continues to move, and this is what you see in mature disciples, 100% God's. It's all God's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. When we tithe, when we give 10%, all we're doing is giving back to God that which is already his, right? So what happens with your money, you're like, it's all yours. Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? 
right? That becomes the conversation. That's the journey that we're on. 100% God's, it's God's stuff to do what he wants with. Why is giving so hard? Because I just want to break it to you. I want an honest conversation. It's going to feel like death at times, right? And the reason it feels like death is because it's death, right? It feels like death because it is death. Part of you dies when you give generously, right? So what's dying? And it's the part of you that's attached to your possessions, Right, this is the dictionary definition. Every so often I'll just read through the dictionary just to find definitions that I like. That's a joke, by the way. Um, this is the dictionary definition. The virtue of being unattached to material possessions often symbolized by the giving of gifts. That's the dictionary definition of generosity. What, what I love there is, is this language, unattached. In other words, generosity speaks of freedom. How many people do you know when it comes to their finances live with incredible freedom? How many people do you know that even in a room like this, when you talk about money, anxiety levels rise? Panic levels begin to rise. That sense of like, can I trust God with my resources? How many of us live with freedom? I don't know any practice quite like the practice of generous giving that builds gratitude, that stirs up faith, that releases generosity, that enables the sons and daughters of God to step into freedom. It's the most incredible, incredible gift. Jesus put it like this. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And this is the only idol in scripture that Jesus actually gives a name, personification. He gives it a name to highlight to the people, this thing is choking you of life. Your pursuit of money, like resources, possessions, it's choking you. Jonah chapter two, those who cling to worthless idols, forfeit grace that could be theirs. This is Jesus saying, this mammon God, money God, it's choking you of life. And some of you are forfeiting grace. It's time to let go. It's time to pursue freedom. Douglas Jones, a theologian, said this, for Jesus, mammon wasn't one idol among many equals. He singled it out as the direct competitor to God. And this is why in the context of the church, when we begin to talk about money, you just feel like you're on the cusp of like genuine offense, right? You can just feel like, oh, this is painful. This is painful because this is an idol that, that robs us of grace and the freedom that Christ wants to um, enable us to walk into. So in practice, if we want to go after gratitude, faith, generosity, in practice, how do we do it, right? Um, here's, here's four steps. Number one, give intentionally. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, each one should give whatever he or she has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I don't know about you, I, I want to become a really generous person. I want to become the kind of person that I'm just spontaneously generous. I just can't help but be generous, right? That's where I want to get to. Um, the pathway to spontaneous giving requires unspontaneous giving, premeditated giving, right? I want to get to the point where I just can't help but be generous. But in the meantime, I, I need to be premeditated in, in my giving. I need to decide in my heart with my wife, be what are we going to give? Who are we going to be generous to? What causes are we going to back? It starts by intentional giving. It doesn't happen by accident, right? It starts with intentionality. Secondly, give secretly. Give secretly. Um, 
Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what was done in secret will reward you. In other words, there's zero space for the humble brag. And you know what I'm talking about. The social media post, it is such a joy to give so generously to this amazing campaign, to release my resources with such abundance, to about the amazing work that they, you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing, right? Um, Jesus says there is a reward for that kind of giving. It's about five minutes of feeling great about yourself and then it will pass and nothing will remain. The other path is you give secretly and there's an eternal reward. So you, you get to choose five minutes of feeling cracking about yourself, right? Or an eternal reward, give secretly. Number three, give regularly. So this is what discipleship looks like. We imitate Jesus, we practice, 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 and then things become second nature to us. So we imitate Jesus and we give. Jesus said in the, in the um, some of them out, he said, when you give, not if you give. It wasn't like for the, those that get round to giving. I was like, this is what the people have got to call to. So when you give, he says, when you fast, not if you fast, you know, for the spiritual heavyweights that fast. No, he's like, when you fast, because you all should be fasting. Um, so when you give, right? So he's basically saying you should be giving and then imitate me and practice, 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 practice. And things that weren't second nature to you will become second nature to you. In other words, you'll become Christ-like. If you imitate Jesus and practice, 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 this is why regular giving is such a powerful discipline. So give intentionally, give secretly, give regularly, give joyfully. For God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, don't give out of this kind of like heaviness of duty and obligation and because there's pressure around you. No, if, if you feel any of that tonight, I really want to encourage you, please don't give tonight. Have a think about your giving and then maybe come back at another time. And because we don't want guilt, condemnation, any of that stuff, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We want cheerful giving. But the thing is, when you understand what's going on in giving, when you understand what you're releasing your resources to, like this, the talk for this afternoon, it isn't primarily, this is the vision, will you back the vision? That's part of it. But I trust God for the resources, I really do. I wanna invite you into the practice of giving because what it will do for your own life and discipleship to Jesus. You'll become people marked out by gratitude, living by faith, stepping into generosity, imaging God to the world. Think about that. I want you, I want myself to step into more of that. So want to invite people towards cheerful giving, the kind of joyful giving of like, oh, yes, please. Gratitude, faith, generosity. Yes, please. What fun. An opportunity to give. So, yeah.